So my mother, who was a wonderful woman, who took great care of me. In fact, she was so committed to me, she was there when I was born. <laughs> and uh, she, she was there on the bad days and the good days. But one of the things, out of many things that she did, was she would bake bread once a week. And there would be 10, I don't know, sometimes maybe 12 loaves of bread on the counter when we would come home from school. So we'd walk in the door, and the first thing that would hit your nostrils was the smell of fresh bread. And on the counter would be these loaves of bread. Can we just get the picture of what that actually looked like? Here's my niece just did this last week. So I borrowed these pictures. You know, these loaves are not, they're not fancy looking. They're not perfect in shape. And that's okay because they're fresh bread made by the hands of your mama. And on the counter, along with these kinds of loaves, there would be one elongated loaf, not three separate loaves, but one elongated loaf, and that was made for when we would come out of school. And you would walk in, and she would begin to slice that bread, and it was hot still, because she had it covered in a towel to keep it warm. Some of you are nodding your head, you probably had this. And she would slice this bread up with hot, so you'd smother it in butter, and then you'd pour molasses on it. And then you'd get a tall glass of milk, and you would just go at it. And, and hopefully, you would get a second one in before your brother came home, and he got into it. But it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful moment. And we enjoyed homemade bread. How many people in the room still bake your own bread? Oh, there's one over there. There's one here. There's one or two or three of you. Every once in a while, I do that. In fact, if you go on the... a side note. If you go on the internet, there's a bread called uh, artisan bread. And you can put the dough together, mix it all up, and you can leave it in a bowl for up to 10 days. And every day, you can take the bowl out of your fridge and slice a piece of that dough off, make it into a bun, let it sit for half an hour on the counter for it to warm up to room temperature, and then you stick it in the oven on a pan and cut three slices in the top and smother it in some butter. And you have fresh bread every day for your supper. And you can make the bun as big and small as you want. It's delicious. Absolutely delicious. So my mother would bake this this bread. And later on in life, when I was done school and I was working, my older brother got me a job. He was a logger. So he got me a job, what we called in Newfoundland, in the woods. And that meant that you were a logger. And so in the woods, you know, you work pretty hard. Matter of fact, I wasn't in the woods very long before I said, this is not what I'm going to do with my life. It's pretty hard work. And my mother would pack my lunch the night before, and she would say to me, Cliff, I get tired of slicing bread for you. Because I literally would take 18 slices of bread in my lunch. And when I'd get home at the end of the day, there was no bread in that lunch bag. It was all gone. And I was quite slim and kind of like Ben, you know, real slim. But I thought I was okay, but over the years it actually showed up. It's showing up real plain. So be careful what you eat. It might show up later. But bread is stuff 
that we need to live. We can't live without bread. You have to have food to live. And there's a story in the scriptures. You can find it in Exodus 16. It's a story that after God through Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and across the Red Sea into the wilderness, um, that they got hungry. Now, I want you to know when I get hungry, you don't want to be around me. You know that advertisement where the guy is just, you know, he's repping up and they give him a bar and say, here, you'll feel a lot better. That, that's kind of me when I get hungry. My wife will say, you need to eat. Just go eat. Listen, ladies, the way to your husband's heart is through his stomach. Feed him before you talk to him. It's just a good rule. And so having this situation where they had no food because there was no Israeli superstore in the wilderness and they had nothing to eat and other than what they had possibly brought with them. I don't know how many days they'd already been in the wilderness when this happened. You can read it in Exodus 16. But they got hungry and they got grumpy. And they began to complain and they said to Moses, it had been better if we'd have stayed in Egypt. So Moses goes and talks to God and and they work out this thing that we're going to feed them. Matter of fact, later in the story it says they got fed so well that they got upset the other way because they had food. And so the food they got was a food that was called manna, which simply means what is it? That's the meaning of the word manna. What is it? Every morning, food from heaven would come down and be on the ground. So when they came out of their tents, there was food. They were to gather it quickly in the morning before the sun's heat got on it and destroyed it. And they were only to take a tenth for every person in their household. In other words, an omer, which is a tenth of an ephah, which amounts to ten omers in one ephah. So a tenth per person. And they were only to take enough for that day. And they said no one had too much and no one had lack. Here's a good message on the 10th if you want to. If you pay your 10th, if you pay your tithe, you, you won't have too much and you won't have lack. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'll leave that to Pastor Ben. They were to gather it six mornings of each week. And on the sixth morning, they were to take enough to last for two days. If they took it on any other day, they took too much, it would rot. If they tried to store it, it would rot. It would be filled with worms when they would go to use it. And it says that, that on the sixth day, they gathered enough for two days. And on the Sabbath, it didn't appear on the ground. It didn't show up. And so... Note the fact that the bread was tied to the Sabbath. And so we want to take a moment to think about this because this was their diet for 40 years. Now, the other thing in the story is that God also said, I'll give them meat. So in the evenings, they had quail. In the mornings, they had McManna. And in the evenings, they had McQuail. Long before McDonald's. And they had this diet for 40 years. Wow. That's a long time eating the same food. 
Now, I grew up on bologna and potatoes. Back in the day, when bologna was cheap. And we'd come home from school and bologna and potatoes. So one of the things I do every once in a while for myself now is for a treat was to have bologna and potatoes, boiled potatoes. But we had it so often that we'd come home from school and we'd go, bologna again? It fit the budget. And so they had this for 40 years. And on the, every Sabbath, they had food without work. Let me share with you another story about bread. It's a story of David found in 1 Samuel 21.6. David is on the run from King Saul. He had slain Goliath. All the people rose up. All the people were for, for David. And David was to be the new king. Saul had lost his place because of disobedience. That's another story, another sermon. Another one I'll leave to Pastor Ben. And David was on the run. And as he's on the run, he actually gathers up a little bit of an army, a little bit of a, a, a group of derelict people. They were in debt. They were, they were against the government. They were, I don't know, maybe some of them were called Trump. I don't know. But at any rate... He had this group of people on the run with him, and so much so that he even went to a Philistine camp and pretended to be um, sort of mentally disabled so that they would leave him alone. And David and his men got hungry. And he went to Nob, the city of Nob, where the tent of meeting was then. And in that tent, every Sabbath, the priest would put out hot bread, and they'd lay it out on this special table, and there would be two rows of six loaves. So 12 loaves of bread got put out every Sabbath, hot bread, and it was not to be touched by anybody. It was actually called the bread of his presence, or the show bread, or the bread of Sabbath, the Sabbath bread. And no one was supposed to take the Bread. It was for the Lord, and when the end of the day came, the priests were to leave that bread on there for the whole week until next Friday. They would then have another 12 loaves of hot bread that they would put out, and it represented the presence of God, the showbread. David is hungry. He comes into the tent of meeting, and he says to the priest, I'm hungry. My men are hungry. I need some bread. And he says, we have none. All we have is to show bread. Jesus actually references this situation on a Sabbath when he and his disciples are out in the field doing what was accepted to do, which was to, on the Sabbath, you could eat the grains, or on the weekdays, you could go into the field, no matter who owned the field, you were hungry, and eat the heads of grain. And Jesus was doing it on the Sabbath. That was what they were upset about. And they're really ticked at Jesus and his disciples because he's not fitting the framework of what a Messiah is supposed to do. And they get upset with him that they're doing this on the Sabbath. And Jesus makes reference to this story about David. And he says, Did you not know that on the Sabbath, David entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, not lawful, but only for the priest to eat, because he and his companions were hungry. Jesus saying 
that David took what was sacred and set apart. He took it and he ate it. We're going to, in a few minutes, take and eat. I want you to know this morning that the sacred is made for you. It's set apart for you. Everything that's sacred, everything that's God, it says, he did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not with them give us all things? What is sacred is for you. And you're invited to take of it. Jesus, of course, took the moment to teach them that he is the Lord in the Sabbath. That Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. He was using the analogy of the manna, and it was not the similarity that disturbed them. It was the contrast of his claim that he was the true bread from heaven. Let's read the text together. Can we stand? You want to stand with me? Let's stand in honor of God's word, and let's read this together. I'll lead you off. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Wow. A little offensive. You may be seated. A little offensive. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they indeed were offended by these words. It's interesting that only John records these words. Other gospel writers record them, but they do not record the part about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. As a matter of fact, John in his gospel is the one who also has, records Jesus making the statement like he did here, I am seven times Jesus in the book of John. Well, he, he didn't do it in the book of John. He did it and he recorded it in the book of John. Seven times Jesus says, I am, which is echoing the words he said to Moses in the burning bush, I am that I am. And so here Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He makes his flesh and blood the spiritual food for all who believe. Indeed, this was offensive. In fact, many of them 
began to leave. They were grumbling away as they went. They, they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he asked his disciples, are you going to leave as well? Because Jesus' words were very hard. Ben said this morning that believing in Jesus doesn't mean that life may not be hard. Life can be hard. We all know this. Life can be hard. And sometimes when I read the scriptures, I'm offended. I'm offended. Because I have thoughts and attitudes and views about my life or life itself or the world that Jesus cuts through and offends my mind. But he offends my mind to reveal the need I have in my heart for him. Do you know that the heart of man was made for the Lord. Solomon said he has put eternity in our hearts and only he fills eternity. We are made for the Lord. And so the the people there that day were, were offended by Jesus' words. It's kind of interesting that in the parables of Jesus, partway through the Gospels, Jesus starts telling the parables that have embedded in them the story of his death and his resurrection. And it's at this juncture that he begins to prepare them for his death and his resurrection. This is how the world would become or how he would become bread for the world. I want you to know that Jesus is bread for the whole world. I'm going to date myself. Andre Crouch. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the bread for the whole world. Folks, the church has the greatest news on planet earth. No human government, no human agency is going to fix this world. Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the answer for this world. And when he says, I am, and he puts the bread of life, he means that there's no other spiritual bread but him. He's the answer for the world. You see, his death was not like the fate of all men. If the Lord tarries, everybody in this room is going to die. I know, Tim, you feel so young and vigorous and full of vitality. That seems so far away. But some of us in the room, that's pretty much eminent. It's kind of like crouching at the door. We're putting clothes on every day and saying, not today. We're swinging our legs over the side of the bed saying, no, not today. But it's coming. We're all going to die. Just like he said, all who ate the bread that Moses gave died. They died. So how am I going to live? 
I am the bread of life, he says. I am the bread of life. You see, his death was not like the death of all men. His death was his deed. He said these words, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down by my own authority, and by my own authority I take it up again. John ten seventeen to 18. And he says, For this the Father loves me. No one takes my life from me. So when they took Jesus and they screamed crucify him and they tied him to a post and they began to beat on him, no one was going to take his life from him. They took him and they placed a robe on him. By this time his flesh was so lanced that the robe would have stuck to his flesh. It's so horrible. You've probably heard sermons about the process that Jesus went through. They made him carry his cross. By that time no man, no human being would have been alive. They would have met their fate. But Jesus was still alive. He was still alive when they laid him out on that wooden cross and they took nails and began to drive into his hands and his feet. And he cried out like any man. He felt it like any man. Even when he was in the garden, he knew. He had known. He was slain before the foundation of the world, but he had never died as a man. He had never laid his life down as a man. And on that day, he was saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down under my own authority, and I take it up again. I want you to know this morning that he did it for you and for me. He said, I am the bread of life. When you take Jesus into your life, when you eat him, I can guarantee you, that you will rise again. As he said to Mary, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? And we need to keep in mind, I need to remind myself constantly that it's not my good works, it's not my holiness or my perfection, and certainly not my handsomeness, even though I am very handsome. None of that puts me in right relationship with Jesus. It's my humility. It's my surrender. It's my willingness to believe on him. Our willingness to take him in as the bread of life. And the labor that we've entered into, folks, if you're having it hard, let me tell you what you're working for, what you're laboring for. You're laboring to enter the rest. Because he is the Sabbath rest. He is the Sabbath. He is the bread of life. He provides it so you don't need to gather anymore for life. You have it. Isn't that awesome? When you believe on him, you will have life. In fact, in this text that we read today, eight times between verse 28 and 71, Jesus uses the word believe. He said, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now, not all who behold him believe him, but everyone who believes him will behold him. Job, in his struggle and in his fight and in his suffering, 
near death, he said, yet in my skin will I see God. I don't know what your struggles are today, but I want you to know we're all in it together. You're not alone in your struggle. The person sitting beside you is experiencing similar struggles. We're in this together. But if you believed on Jesus this morning, if you believe, if you've given your life to Jesus, I can guarantee you that he is the bread of life, that he will bring life to your mortal flesh. All that's left for us to do in the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection is to believe. He said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? All that's left to do is to believe. Anything that I add to my life in making lifestyle changes, anything that I do in believing in his transforming work in my life, they're just adornments. They're just showcasing what he has already done for me through his flesh and his blood. They're adornments. I have, I have to remind myself because, you know, as I've journeyed with Jesus over the years, my life has straightened out. My life has become fuller. My life is, I'm living life better. I'm doing life better. Oh, my goodness. Time is gone. Pastor Ben, how does that happen? Let me finish this up. At Pentecost, Peter said, repent, believe, return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence, here's that word, the bread again, the bread of his presence, the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus to Christ appointed for you. For you. He's appointed for you. And he has fulfilled his appointment to the letter. He has given his life, and he invites us to come, take, just like David took the showbread and he ate it. Jesus, to his disciples in the upper room, said, here, take, eat. This is my flesh. This is my